Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, fossickers of the digital gold fields. It's time to grab your virtual pick and shovel and tear into another episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. And here to point out just where to start digging, it's our master prospector extraordinaire. Welcome to you, Matthew Dickerson. How are you going? And you are spot on, actually. It is a prospecting role that I play out there. There are so many bits of dirt and clods and hidden It's all about separating the gold from the ore. Yeah, that's right. And you're scratching away through all this information, all this news out there, all these different things that are happening, and trying to find those real nuggets. And I hope, and I hope our listeners agree, that we find nine little nuggets every week. (laughs) Yeah, But it's it's a real challenge to go through. Sometimes I feel like there are 30 nuggets out there yeah. trying to narrow it down to the nine. Other weeks it might be, it's a bit of a struggle to get all nine topics there, but there are some nuggets out there. There's some fascinating things happening. And just when you think, well, surely that's it. Surely that's enough. That's all we can possibly find now. There are other things that spring up and topics that really we didn't even know we'd be talking about yeah. six months ago, a year ago. And I noticed that some topics breed more topics. Uh, mm. They breed fodder for further on. And uh, yeah, sometimes I feel like, um, oh, we've talked about this, haven't we? But no, we haven't. We're covering new ground. It's always, yeah, you do a great job, Matt, with your research. Well, thank you. And it does seem to be the theme at the moment. It's all about AI. And in fact, I jumped in the car this morning to go out to an event. And the first thing I heard when I turned on was a guy talking about AI mm. and how much it's changing our world, a bigger change for our world than the introduction of of the personal computer was this mm. gentleman's thought, and I don't think he's far wrong actually. So this has been a bit of a flavour lately, but who knows? In a few months' time, it'll be another thing that seems to be capturing our attention. Capturing I don't think there's attention. anything uh, that's going to allow us to get away from AI. It's here no. now, and we've got to in, uh, embrace our new master. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> anyway, we better get into unboxing today's stories. How happy are you with your TV these days? It seems not so long ago that a big old boxy 52-inch cathode ray tube with a remote control constituted a pretty decent TV. But times were much simpler then. Nowadays, in order to just enjoy an episode of, of Yellowstone, we all need something that packs a little more punch. When I'm watching Taskmaster, I want to feel like I'm sitting right there in a chair right next to Tom Gleason, feeding off his smarmy jibes. Matt, it's been a while since we last talked TVs. <laughs> what has Samsung got to offer now that my current TV doesn't already have? It's got the number 8 in it, the 8 K TVs. Yeah, right. That sounds impressive, but what's it going to do for me? Well, I'm not sure that it'll do much for you. And this is (laughs) the really interesting thing. I actually sat down and did the calculations to see whether or not we could actually distinguish the difference with our good old-fashioned human eyesight Mm. between 4K and 8K, for example. Now, from HD to 4K, you can see that. You can see visually that, yes, that's a sharper image. 4K to 8K? Mm. Oh, gee, I'm wondering. So Once went, that blade is sharp and so sharp, <laughs> it's cutting smooth in through everything. It, what are you going to do? Exactly right. <laughs> now, I actually went back and did a bit of research on that, and there was a launch that Steve Jobs did back in 2010, 7th of June 2010, and he made the announcement that they had a new retina display on the new iPhone, and he said, as Steve sometimes did with a little bit of hyper- hyperbole, that this was past the limit where the human eye could make out different pixels. Mm. Now, I think he was going a little bit over the top there, but I started to wonder our eyesight and the individual pixels we could make out. So I actually did some calculations on all of that, and I came up with this idea 
that if we've got 2020 vision or even 2015 vision, a little bit better than 2020 vision, what can we see? So, for example, at an 8K TV, and it all comes down to the size of the TV, with an 88-inch TV, you would have to be one metre from the screen before you could actually start to make out individual pixels. Well, that's that's as close as my mum ever let me sit. <laughs> actually, she, she insisted we were much further back than one metre. I think you'd actually have a problem with your neck at one metre from an 88-inch TV. Yeah, you'd be you can't see the whole picture. Back and that's forth. immersive vision. It is immersive, that's right. So when we start talking about getting to the stage, and this new Samsung, they've got 8K TV in 85-inch, 65-inch, 75-inch. At 65-inch with an 8K TV, you're almost on top of the TV before mm. you're making individual pixels, if you can at all. So when you start talking about 8K, and let's assume that you're listening to your mother and you're <laughs> sitting more than a metre away from the TV, you're really not going to make out the difference with a 4K or 8K TV. A 4K TV at 75-inch, you've got to be less than two metres from it to still make out those individual pixels. So again, mm. you're sitting back at normally, I'd probably think you'd be sitting at four metres from a TV, typically in a lounge yeah. environment, before mm-hmm. you're sitting down to a comfortable sort of environment. So when we start talking about 8K TV, you st- do start to wonder why do we really need them? Does it make a difference? And I hate to be saying this because technology, I normally say, just get it, whatever it is, just get the new technology. <laughs> upgrade, just upgrade regardless. But I think where we're really going here is this is 85-inch. At the moment, if you want to go and buy one of these Samsung 85-inch babies, $12,700 in Australian dollars, mm. so not cheap. But I think where they're really going is when you see the differences, what you get to 85, no, maybe 100-inch, maybe 120-inch, Right. that's when you really start to see where you really need these 8K resolutions because obviously as the TV gets bigger, Mm. each pixel gets ever so slightly larger, and if you're sitting at that distance away, that four-metre distance, for example, you get the TV big enough, you might be able to start to make out individual pixels. It does sound good from an advertising perspective, though. (laughs) 4K TV, you need an 8K TV, (laughs) and we just happen to be the ones that actually have got it for you. But, But how big is a screen that's too big? (laughs) <laughs> well, you cannot fit it on your wall, I guess. Well, the next thing is that you'll have to be going into your white goods retailer and buying your TV with an upgrade for your lounge room because mm. you'll need a bigger lounge room, a bigger <laughs> wall in your lounge room before you say, well, I can't actually fit it in my lounge room. But, gee, it'd be great to have that 120-inch. Sometimes you might have those for display, commercial displays, for example. Yeah, right. But if you're a manufacturer of TVs, you're trying to manufacture to sell to a mass market. To a domestic market That's rather right. than the commercial market. If your right? only market is some TVs on display in a shop or out in an arena somewhere. You're limiting yourself. In oh, you're thing, not going to sell that many, are you? So yeah. putting them in the domestic situation in, in a home environment, that's where you want to be. So you're right. I don't know whether 85-inch starts to get a bit too big for a normal lounge room. 100-inch starts to get too big for a normal lounge room. It does get to the stage where you feel like it encompasses your entire wall. That's right. And maybe that's what the plan is. Just when you're a wall, a checking structural. out a house, when you're checking out a house to either to rent or to buy, you've got to check out that lounge room wall just to see how big that lounge room <laughs> to wall is. Can fit. Uh, to see if you can fit. To see if you can get your TV. Measuring out the doors and stuff. That's right. This well, is, getting it in there too, that's part yeah. of the problem, isn't it? I've just got to take off some of your roof and rip out a hole in your ceiling this is the just to get that TV in. Tail wagging the dog. I just, oh, don't <laughs> get it anymore. I don't understand the modern world. Oh, dear. Please, James, please. So uh, Anyway, I, I should talk about the TV. It's a QN900C. 8K smart TV, it's their QLED technology that they talk about, which is the Samsung way of saying LED, but check a Q in front of it to make Mm. it proprietary somewhat. 
nice TV, but I think the thing is with 8K, you then start to need to get your content in 8K. Now, I remember a couple of years ago, I saw that the Japanese broadcaster NHK, which is the equivalent of our ABC in Australia, they launched a new service that was broadcasting in 8K, but they haven't got much content they can broadcast because most movies mm. aren't available at 8K, for example. <laughs> so there's a fair few steps to go through. Having the 8K TV sounds great, but then you've got to get some content providers. The broadcasting <laughs> to be sent to you. broadcast in... it or stream oh, it wow. or all the rest of it. So it sounds really good. It sounds pretty impressive down at the pub saying to your friends you've got an 8K TV. Yeah. Are you going to notice a difference? At this stage, I'm not convinced, and I'm not convinced, I hate saying this, James, I'm not convinced that spending money, spending $12,700 on that technology is going to do a lot for you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry. a status symbol, perhaps. Uh, maybe, maybe. Now, ChatGPT has caused quite a stir in recent months, and people are putting quite a bit of faith in the instant research and the written text that it produces at the drop of a hat. But a word for the wise, ChatGPT has got a little way to go yet in order to become a little bit more discerning. Not everything that is produced by the AI software is altogether kosher and the consequences for the people holding the leash are now starting to roll in. Matt, ChatGPT is in a spot of hot water and this may be just the start of things to come. Brian Hood, and I'll come back to him in a moment, is suing ChatGPT for defamation. Mm. Who is he suing? Is he suing so Chat? Are there people <laughs> holding the leash? That's the problem. And this is the interesting question, isn't it? Is he suing ChatGPT? Well, that's really a tool. So it's mm. not easy to sue ChatGPT. Can you sue OpenAI, the makers of ChatGPT? Well, they're the company that owns it, that controls it. So maybe. Is it the programmers that wrote the initial code for ChatGPT? Or is it the code itself that then creates more of the code for the artificial intelligence to do its job that you're suing, but then you're suing, it seems like an inanimate object maybe? What you're saying is that there are people holding several leashes here, but none of them are connected to the dog. I think that's right. I think I'm going to steal that from you. That metaphor sounds perfect. <laughs> so he's trying to sue someone. And the reason he's trying to sue, to sue someone is that Brian Hood was quite courageous. He was a whistleblower. And in fact, the Victorian Supreme Court praised Brian Hood for having tremendous courage in coming forward. And he exposed a foreign bribery scandal that involved a banknote printing business. What could go wrong with that? Mm. Fantastic job that Brian did. When you look at ChatGPT and say, tell me about Brian Hood, it says that Brian Hood was the one perpetrating oh. the bribery and ended up in jail. Nothing could be further from the truth. Wow! People did go to jail because of the bravery of Brian Hood exposing this. So you can imagine, someone looks up Brian Hood randomly and they say, oh, he's not a very nice guy, he's we don't want him involved. Now, he just happens to be a mayor of his own town in Victoria. So you can imagine when it comes to something like an election or even trusting a local yeah. mayor and you look up some information on him, you go, well, hold on, what are we trusting this crook for? Yeah. He's been to jail, he's been involved in bribery. So you can imagine it mightn't be that good for his character. So you can imagine if if your eyes said that about Brian, he may well sue us and might successfully sue us for defaming his good name. This is the process that's happening at the moment. So there is a process. Gordon Legal is running this case against 
someone against so are they just screaming into the wind <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> it's and it's an american company open ai so that yeah. makes it a little bit more complicated when yeah. you've got an australian who's being defamed obviously there are a lot of people across the world looking at this now of course chat gpt who haven't said anything about this publicly yet but they would say we've got a little disclaimer when you open up chat gpt to type something in it says by the way don't rely on this information. It may be uh. inaccurate. But is that good enough? Is that enough that gets them out of any legal hot water? Because you still look at it and you think that there's some basis in truth. It may not get it exactly accurate. But and how many people are reading that disclaimer? Like, <laughs> well, how many people are taking any notice of that disclaimer? Yeah. You probably don't say, when you look at Brian Hood, you probably don't say, oh, that mightn't be right because of that disclaimer. You'd say, what? Brian Hood? Yeah. Oh, no, what a He's crook. He's a crook. That's right. <laughs> so this is a really interesting case. Obviously, there are lots of people around the world who are very interested in how this is going to play out. Yeah. I have no idea how it's going to play out. I, I wouldn't dare give legal advice, but this is such new ground. I don't think even if I was a solicitor, my legal advice would be worth much because it's going to be a very interesting process. Surely, yes, forward. someone's got to be responsible for this dog that's off the leash now. And Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and something similar happened with Google many years ago. I vaguely have a recollection of Google, someone trying to sue Google for information that came up. But they were let off the hook because all Google was doing was pointing you uh, to yeah. other sites that had the information. So those sites were responsible, or people had published information on those sites. They were the responsible ones. You were more or less a directory. Google said, go to here, 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 or here, mm. and get the information. But this is a bit different with ChatGPT. It's not pointing you to some other sites. It's no, giving so, you an answer. Yeah, I've done the research for you, and you don't have to look any further. Yeah, here it is. Here's the answer. So keep an eye on this one. I think this is one of those ones, as you mentioned at the beginning, that we will probably hear a little bit more about as it plays out. For those of you familiar with Snapchat, then you're probably all over the lenses filter option that you can use to soup up the image in the frame. Well, when something is too good to keep to yourself, you've just got to share it round, and the boffins at the Microsoft Teams joined the party for a piece of the action. Matt, Teams meetings will never be the same again. Oh, I just get this feeling, James, that Teams meetings and any video conference meetings you're in at the moment – Someone would have discovered with the background. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, the background. So, okay, yeah, the background. Yeah. So Start with that's background. what happens now because people get there and they go, oh, everyone, do you like my background? You know, you're talking about some huge yeah. multi-million dollar project and they're playing with the background. Oh, look at this. I'm in Hawaii at the moment and look at this background I've got. So you see that happen from time to time. I hope we're past that, but I don't think they're uh, – not everyone's past oh, that. Oh, no. Oh, gosh, no. No. Every, <laughs> every video call I'm on with a few people, oh, at least, there'll be someone who – Clearly not making enough of these video calls. <laughs> That's an impressive background you've got, mate. Can we talk about the facts? That's right. Can we get on with the process? <laughs> so that's what happens now. And I worry that now Microsoft Teams have partnered up with Snapchat. Mm. We've got 26 different Snapchat lenses available. And these are typically augmented reality. So they're not changing your face into a, a different avatar, for example. You're just adding some things to you. So mm. as you said a moment ago, you might get some bunny ears, you might get a different set of glasses, sunglasses or something. Pirate patch with a scar. <laughs> and yeah. You're there, you're all over yeah, this. Yeah, and I'm so, yawning. So what do you think people are going to do now on their next Teams meeting they're on? Oh, look at this, I've got a pirate's patch. Oh, I'm a hearty. So there'll be all this distraction there. But it's interesting, isn't it, just to see something that's successful in one realm, so Snapchat, which is designed for our younger generations to have a bit of fun. Yeah. Microsoft Teams meetings, you've got people of a variety of ages there, 
sometimes making very serious decisions, and they went, oh, this is a good idea. We'll go and yeah. stick this bit of AR onto our Teams meetings. Show some personality in inverted commas there. So to add to this, we're going to have some more dynamic backgrounds launched in May, so we'll be able to have even more backgrounds awesome. as if we didn't have enough already. So obviously video conferencing is still here, which is great. I think that's fantastic. Surely the amount we save on travel and yep. the time we save by just – ducking into a room or in our office somewhere and please people put the light in front of you not behind you because so many (laughs) meetings I still have forget the lenses forget the background you just see a little dark blob that I think is someone's face with this great bright light behind them and you think do you understand the lighting you need on your face anyway I'm I'm going off on a tangent here but maybe that would be better that is maybe that would be better for people just to work out how to use their video conferencing rather than trying to give them new tools so I'll have a now a little dark blob in the middle with some rabbit's ears on the dark blob in the middle and a pirate patch (laughs) so keep an eye out for that the next team's meeting you're on just watch someone being totally distracted by all the different things they're adding on In a world where the risk of health issues from sedentary lifestyles is a very real thing for a fair chunk of the working population, more and more options are available to provide health-promoting alternatives for people who work desk jobs. People can get their heart rates up and stave off varicose veins with a humble little pedal power machine that fits under the desk. Matt, it'll keep your feet moving and track your fitness while you crank out those hefty spreadsheets. Exactly right, and it's an elliptical machine, so it's not a bicycle, because I've seen other ones where you can have a little device under your desk, but they're fairly big because you've got to Mm -hmm. have pedals, and you've got a fair amount of movement or a range of movement with your legs when you're pedalling, and it probably is a bit distracting for someone you're sitting there on a Teams meeting with, apart from the rabbit's ears and the background, you then see someone's head bobbing up up and down, (laughs) puffing away there, what are you doing in Hawaii at the moment, you're running down the beach. So this elliptical machine, I didn't mind the idea of this, because with an elliptical machine, Obviously, your legs are moving a bit less, so there's not quite as much bobbing up and down of your head, I assume. And it is a reflection on our lifestyle, isn't it, that we spend Mm. so much time sitting down. We've got so many devices around us that make it convenient for us, whether it be dishwashers or washing machines or all sorts of different devices. Even the way we get to work now, obviously, years ago, you might have had to walk or ride a bike to work. Well, now it's very easy. So we're now going back the other direction, to make us more active while we sit at our nice relaxed desk and start to actually move our legs around. The working, the, the standing desk seems to be something that's becoming popular, but I still think with a standing desk, you're not really getting your heart rate up, you're mm. standing up, so you're not just sitting down, so slightly different, but it doesn't sound like it's solving all the problems. So I think this isn't a bad idea. I actually, many years ago, I competed in a mountain bike race where I raced across the Simpson Desert. So it was a stupid idea. Long way to go. And surely there's better ways to do it. And there are times out there you end up, there's about only 50 people that can compete. And there are times you get spread out from the field so much that you look around and your mind starts playing tricks on you. I thought I was on the moon at some stage. There, I looked oh, around wow. and I went, this is a moonscape here. Am I really on Earth anymore? And I went, yeah, I'm pretty dehydrated at the moment. <laughs> I need to drink a bit more water. But in that particular event, to train for that, because I needed to train for hours a day before I did that, I did actually get up in the mornings and I set myself up with a recliner bike and a desk and I sat there and pedaled away 
on that while I did that before I went to work each morning to try and get my fitness levels up, but I had to keep working. or I didn't have to, but I needed to keep working. And it wasn't great. It was all a bit temporary, and I kind of had like a, a hospital tray that came across that I could sit my computer on to keep working, but I used to sweat, and that would drip down on my computer, so I put armbands <laughs> on. It was all clumsy. What I needed was something like this, yeah. so I could just sit there at work all day and pedal away or use an elliptical trainer to keep my legs moving the whole day and then get to the end and go, wow, look at that. I just did a day's normal work, and no one knew, but I'm training away for a desert. It sounds very cool and not so intrusive. Not so intrusive, that's right. And, of course, it reports information back to your phone, gives you information on your app to say how you're going, gives you some goals, all those things you'd expect any fitness device to have these days. If mm. it hasn't got Bluetooth, if it's not connected to an app, it doesn't rate. It doesn't. In fact, it doesn't exist. It has to has to be some way of recording it for you to know that you've actually done something. That's about right. It. You want to know you've done ten k's though. You've been sitting at your desk. Yeah, that's right. So QB Move. This one's called C U B Double I QB Move. Have a look at that. I think it's a good idea, and I'm sure there'll be other imitations coming out very soon. And if the pressure to punch out thousands of spreadsheets for your overbearing boss is raising your stress levels through the roof, then you can always get up from the desk and your handy little peddler and migrate to your ultra comfy well-being chair that is guaranteed to calm your farm. Matt, I reckon I'm sounding like the voiceover for The Price is Right here, but uh, tell us about how this new well-being chair works. Well, it's interesting that you talk about some of the stress levels we're creating, and mental health is obviously a major issue at the moment. This particular chair actually tries to use some biosensors and ECG technology to first of all determine your stress level. Right. So I can see some employers saying, so James, you think you're stressed? Sit in the chair for 10 minutes and we'll just check out whether you're stressed or not. So step one. Is this like a massage chair though? Well, it is. You look at it and it does look like a massage chair on steroids, a big mother massage chair. So you first of all sit in it, you let the biosensors go to work, check out your various sensors or your various components that can look at. Mm. And then once it works it out, it recommends some stress relief. So it might be some gentle massaging. It might be some breathing exercises that it tells you to do. It's all designed just to keep you a little bit less stressed. Yeah. My biggest concern with it is that the price of it will be enough to make me stressed before <laughs> I bought it. $11,000 yeah, for a right. chair. Now, I get massage chairs. I've got a bit of technology in them, and this has got a bit more, but, gee, that seems like a lot of money to me. So I think if I said it, every time I'd be sitting there going, oh, my gosh, $11,000, what could I have spent that on? And mm. that would create its own stressful environment just sitting in the chair. If you can how, get, how much does it cost to get a masseuse to just pop around sort of once every now and then? Probably less than a thousand dollars, less than eleven thousand dollars. Right. <laughs> right. So that might be a, an option, but the chair accommodates different body shapes, accommodates different features, it massages things in different ways. So essentially, this is all about technology and health. We do talk about that a lot at the moment, and this is just another step along that path. So I haven't tried this out. I haven't been somewhere I can actually sit in this chair. Mm. Can't give you first-hand report on how it works, but it sounds like there are lots of Interesting processes at work with people all around the world trying to work at ways they can improve our health levels using mm. technology. And this is another one of those. And I can hear Anya playing in the background somewhere <laughs> in the distance. Here's a story about a pair of glasses that'll give away all your secrets. Far from the world of secret agents and what have you, these glasses will take the whispered word and amplify it for all to hear loud and clear. 
What the and why, I hear you ask. Well, perhaps we have the ideal solution for a case of chronic laryngitis, I say with a question mark. Matt, have I got this right? Glasses to amplify the inaudible. I think it's one of the examples that we sometimes see where it's technology for the sake of technology. Technology. We can do this and you can have it for $11,000 perhaps. No, um, (laughs) maybe not that much. Maybe that much. But these glasses are set up so that you could either talk very quietly or not actually talk at all. So you could mouth words. Oh, right. And it then uses sensors that are built into the bottom of the glasses to actually work out either very quiet commands or, in fact, no commands at all or no audible voice at all and work out what you're saying. And I watched a video with a demonstration of that. So it simulated someone sitting in a library. Okay, you've got to be quiet. Do people still visit libraries? I'm not sure, but let's assume they do. And you've got to be very quiet there. Now, I don't know why you'd want to do that. And this is where it's technology for the sake of technology. If you're sitting there and you want to use some commands to control things on your computer, or you want to use your voice to type numbers into a spreadsheet, for example, you could mouth those words out in that quiet environment in the library and it would work out the words that you're saying or the numbers that you're saying and put those into your computer. Right. So it can be used for a whole range of things. You but can, they've also got speakers in them, right? They've got. It's got a little tiny or two sets of microphones and a little tiny speaker in there and that's designed to pick up your movement around your mouth, but then you could, exactly as you said, you could then use it for whatever you wanted to. You could use it to then have your voice amplified out. You could use it to control a computer. You could use it to have a very quiet conversation with someone on a phone call. Any situation that you want to be able to talk very quietly and have it come out louder or have it used for a command, it could be used for. Why? Yeah. Oh, I'm struggling. These are some very niche <laughs> problems that we're solving here with this piece of technology. And I like the laryngitis, but I hadn't thought of that. If you had some severe laryngitis, you want to still be able to control your computer instead of using your mouse and keyboard. Mm, I'm getting very, very niche yeah. on niche now. Then, yes, you could use it for that, James. Well, Excellent I wonder idea. if you could also... I don't know. Uh, you're visiting a foreign country. Maybe there's software that could translate for you and broadcast that. So you mouth what you're trying to say. You don't have any distracting noise from your English language. And it comes out in French or Swahili or what have you. You could probably do that. There's probably a whole range of things it could be used for, but I'm not really sure what it's going to be used for at the this moment. It's just the start. I, I think it is one of those examples where people went, wow, imagine if we could do this. Maybe over a few drinks someone came up with the idea one time mm. and they thought, Let's see if we can do it. And they went and did it and said, yes, we can. I'm not expecting these to be a commercial product anytime soon. Mm. Until someone can come up with the killer reason to have it, I don't think people are going to use it. But it is interesting technology. I watched it and said, wow, they've really done a great job there. You only need to train it for about six or seven minutes to actually learn how you move your mouth while you're saying various words and various numbers for it to then learn that usage of your mouth to then reflect from that. So, yeah, I'm struggling to see why I'd use it. I, I, even, I love my technology. I can't see any time I'd buy this. Someone will come up with a great idea. They'll develop it further and, yeah, watch this space, folks. And then we'll say, we talked about that years yeah. ago, remember? Yeah. We were so keen on that product. <laughs> Now, with ChatGPT creating issues about cheating and the spread of disinformation, software engineers are now trying to develop a defence system to be able to discern AI-generated text from human-generated text. But Matt, at this stage, we are beat. And apparently spotting AI 
is no better than flipping a coin. Is that right? <laughs> That's exactly this right. Is not encouraging for teachers at all. Not at all. Now, I go back some time and I used to have mixed emotions when a lecturer or even in a school when the teacher would say, you've got this exam as an open book exam. Mm. So the first thing you think of is, fantastic, I don't have to go and rote learn all those formulas or rote learn all those various things that are in the textbook. And so you got a bit excited at the beginning and then you thought, hold on, if it's an open book exam, it's going to be a lot harder <laughs> and it's really testing our conceptualization, our understanding of this topic. Oh, I'm not sure if I'm excited now about it being an open book exam or not. And one of the things that happens in the real world is engineers, people using formulas, for example, accountants, whoever it might be, they don't have to remember everything. Mm. They can look up information. They can refer to reference materials. So I actually like the idea of open book exams because it's a bit closer to what happens... To what you do in real life. In the real world. That's exactly right. You, you go in and see the doctor sometimes, and I'm not sure if I should be happy or sad about it, but sometimes you ask the doctor about something, and they pull a textbook off the shelf and start flicking through it. Or they go into Google themselves and they... Uh... <laughs> that's, that's right. That's always a bit concerning, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and then you think, well, no, this doctor's got enough knowledge to know they need to look further and research further and get the information they're after and interpret that. So that's okay that they do that. So that's what happens in the real world with a whole range of areas. So maybe we just should adapt to that in our educational processes. With ChatGPT, it's probably a little bit the same. Now, you're spot on. There was actually a group of mathematicians at the University of Maryland and they thought they'd try and come up with a mathematical proof that you could pick up that something was created by AI or not. And after lots of work and playing around with it all and coming up with a whole range of different hypotheses, they said, no, we cannot <laughs> mathematically say, or the other way actually, we can mathematically say that we can't prove that this is different enough at a mathematical level to this to say that every single time we know this was created by AI. Now, we've talked about it before. If you don't see a lot of personal references in some text, that may be an indicator. But as you mentioned, when you've got someone writing some scientific information, you don't want, oh, well, I was walking along the road the other day and a wind blew my hat off, therefore the wind velocity, blah, blah, blah. Mm. You're not looking for some little personal stories when you're getting some scientific papers delivered. Yeah. You really want cold, hard data and analysis of that data. So I suppose I get to the point where I say, as a society, as educators in society, do you get to the point where you say, students, you have to use ChatGPT on this next assignment. In the real world, mm. you're going to have access to ChatGPT. So this next assignment, I want it to blow my socks off because it's so good with all the information you've researched, including using AI tools to get us the answer. I'm not sure if you're horrified by this thought or not. Yeah, I just don't know. <laughs> where are we going to go with this? Yeah. <laughs> perhaps perhaps that's what we'll do one day. I can't see it happening this year, though. Well, probably not this year, and it probably takes a while for people to get their head wrapped around it. But mm. again, if you've got programmers at university learning code, rather than write the raw code, go and use ChatGPT. Write the mm. raw code and then make sure it does what you want it to do, refine it. You need to understand the code enough still to know how to modify it if it's not doing exactly what you want. But it's a bit of grunt work to go and write that raw code in the first place. Yeah. So it's things like that where I just see that we'll probably get to this point where we can't prove that that was written. Imagine making an accusation to a student, one of your star students, you've used ChatGPT to write this because it's so good. No, sir, yeah. I worked really hard at that and spent hours and hours getting it right. So you've, if you don't have 
conclusive proof that it was written by ChatGPT or an AI tool, then you probably can't make the accusation. And therefore, is it just giving you an unfair advantage to kids who are being an you know, showing some initiative and using AI. I don't know. It's an interesting question. But yeah. when when we're at the point where people are saying we can't prove the difference, gee, that opens oh, up no. the whole process <laughs> about what we're doing. We've got to keep that quiet. <laughs> <laughs> got to call bluff. Oh, Give us something. <laughs> I mean, I liked your idea before where you said you'd set an assessment, for example, you'd type that into ChatGPT, get an answer, and then you'd you hold, hold it up, up and say, this is what they've done. That's yeah, right. But the no, that's not going to work for me either. You click regenerate response and ChatGPT five times, you get five different answers. So, it's, But again, shh, don't tell Let's the kids. never that. talk about this ever again, please, Matt. <laughs> right, uh, <laughs> done for this week, I promise. Rapid detection is our best defence against any health issue, but never more so than in the case of stroke. Where delays in waiting for brain scans or blood tests may prolong treatment and recovery, new AI technology may be capable of alerting us to the onset of a stroke with a simple scan of your face. Matt, I'll confess I'm a bit confused by this. I always thought that when it came to strokes, the old FAST process for detection was the way to go, and speedy action was critical. But we're, we're talking about something here where you might go into the doctor's surgery and they might scan your face. Is that what well, we're looking at here? Apparently, many people have some minor strokes before right. they actually have a major stroke, yeah, gotcha. as one example. And you're probably not going to go to the doctor every day, every week, and say, hey, doc, how's my face look? Mm. And they look at it, no, you look fine, James, on you go. You're probably going to get sick of that because it's unlikely you're going to have a stroke every day. The, the possibility of it each day for the next 20 years is probably minimal. But you probably look in the mirror each day, maybe having a shave, maybe combing your hair. You might look at your smartphone screen each day, just looking at some information on there. So if there's some way that, for example, the mirror in your bathroom or even an app on your phone could analyse your face in a few milliseconds each day you look at it yeah. and then sometimes pick up that maybe something was wrong. And I remember hearing the story about Billy Connolly. He was doing one of his comedic concerts one day and afterwards, a gentleman came up to him and he said, I'm a specialist doctor. I watched the way you came on stage and there's something wrong with your gait. It's just a little bit different. I'd recommend you go and see a specialist to see, because I came and saw you a few years ago and it was different. So I'd see a specialist. I'm not going to do some analysis of you now at the end of a concert, but wow. definitely go and see it. And of course, Billy Connolly went along to a doctor and found out that he did actually have a degenerative disease. And it was picked up early just by the fact that this doctor had seen Billy Connolly in concert years before and had picked up a difference. Wow. Now, not everyone's Billy Connolly. Not everyone's on stage on a regular basis with a doctor that happens to be alert enough in the audience to yeah. actually pick up on that. But if you're looking at some AI tool every day, I say on a mirror or on a phone, it might pick up things. So Lou Gehrig's disease, for example, when someone has a slight drop in their face, again, that doesn't happen instantly. Sometimes it might happen fairly quickly, but you might pick up a little hint, a little bit of something happening first. Our face shows a lot more than we actually think it shows. Mm. But we talk to our loved ones each day. We're not picking up on that. We're not specialists. We're not talking to doctors regularly enough. Our doctors don't know our face well enough to know that suddenly there's something wrong. But if we had AI that had this great database of all these images of your face on a daily basis, for example, very easily could start to pick up something. So this whole process is looking at maybe picking up genetic conditions, maybe picking up, as I say, a mini stroke, maybe picking up some various diseases that might be able to be picked up by our face. And who knows what other things might be picked up. It might mm. be early onset of dementia, it might be early onset of Parkinson's disease, a whole range of things. 
might just be a little bit different the way we blink, for example, the way we smile. All sorts of different things might happen as an indicator from our face using AI to crunch all that, to analyse it all in a detailed way and then come up with an answer and say, you need to go and see a specialist. Fascinating area, fascinating development. And again, with all our little health um, gadgets we talk about, it's a a way of sending alerts to say, hey, you might want to think about this. Go and see someone about this rather than diagnosing you off the cuff. Yeah. Yeah. So already in their first testing, they were finding that the AI tools were 70% accurate in diagnosing someone that had a mini-stroke before they had a major stroke. In other words, they'd look at images of someone that had a major stroke, take an image that was taken a few weeks ago, and they could actually pick up that 70% of the time. So not perfect yet, but it's giving you some indications there. So, yeah, quite fascinating. Chinese car manufacturer and new kid on the block, BYD, has learned how to talk big in order to mix it with the cool kids in the playground. Previously, they've made news by uh, producing affordable family-type EVs, but now they're chest-beating over their new supercar model. It sure looks sleek, but Matt, I want to say it's got what's it got under the hood, or does it have any grunt? But none of that really applies here. <laughs> so can BYD at least put their money where their mouth is? They can, absolutely. And this is a bit like Toyota created the Lexus brand to give people a luxury, a prestige brand. BYD, who are known for good, cheap, affordable EVs, have got Yang Wang, which is their luxury version, the Lexus, if you like, Mm -hmm. to their Toyota. So that's great, but you want to see something come out for them. And the first car they've come out to show off what they can do Reminds me of the old radial tune suspension. Do you remember that? No. Holden, Holden came out with this concept. It was probably in America first. I think it was back in the early 70s. They started bringing out their cars to say, look at this car. It's got radial tune suspension, RTS. And the idea of radial tune suspension, I think initially was to say that we're taking advantage of radial tyres. That sounds like a marketing gimmick. Yeah. But essentially what it did was as you went around a corner, it took out some of the body roll out of the cornering. So ah, you didn't right. have the body roll to the outside of the corner. It kept it a bit it stiffer. It lent into the corner. Perhaps. Well, it didn't go that far, but it actually just kept it a bit more stable. Right. And they used to go on about it forever. And I think in the end, every manufacturer had the equivalent of in the way they manufactured their suspension systems. But Holden used to always have this little RTS sticker there saying, we've got radial tune suspension, isn't that better? Well, Yang Wang have done exactly what you just said. They've gone a bit further and they've said, well, radial tune suspension was being a bit clever with some mechanical processes, but we've got electronics now and we've got really advanced electronics. So the Yang Wang luxury vehicle, the first one that they're producing, has got the ability to exactly, as you said, lean into a corner. As you're driving along, you'd start driving around a corner. It lowers through its electronics, it lowers the suspension on the inside radius of the corner. So you feel like you're riding a motorbike, you'll be riding into the corner, leaning into the corner. (laughs) That obviously helps it handle better as well. But it gets a bit trickier than that. You can raise and lower the suspension on a semi-permanent basis. Now, I've owned a Tesla. I had a Tesla with air suspension that I could do that on. You could raise the suspension going down a steep driveway and it actually geotagged where you were, so the next time you came back to that steep driveway, it would automatically raise the suspension because it yeah. knew that the last time you were here, you wanted the suspension raised. So the Yang Wing does something similar to that where it can raise and lower the suspension, but it can also jump. 
it can actually <laughs> it can actually push down the suspension hard enough that the car will jump. And I'm thinking of wacky races here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, why do you want thinking your supercar? Some of those souped up things in the hood, you know, in Brooklyn, you know, with the, yeah, yeah, the bounce right. and bounce and bounce. You know, like, well, it was popular can, in the 80s or the 90s, I think. This can jump the whole car. So I'm thinking, why would I want that? The only possible reason I can think that I might want that is I'm driving on the road and there's a pothole in front of me, which it's got to detect because it's got to be fast enough, yeah. and then it jumps over the pothole. Surely that's not why oh. they're going to create... I'm thinking Dukes of Hazard here. It's got to get across that creek. That's right. Get away from Boss Hog. No, uh, what was it? Roscoe? Yeah. Oh, I can't remember in Dukes. But again, imagine that idea where you've actually got this car that can actually jump. Now, again, they've got a whole range of things where they're controlling the body in different ways. The jumping was the one that grabbed my attention. But this is part of where we're headed with some of these cars to show off. Now, if you want to hear some numbers, 820 kilowatts and 1,280 newton means of thrust. Now, people who have got their V8 cars or their diesels and they think there's all this power there that they can't possibly match with an EV, well, there's a little bit of an indication. And it's got 700 kilometres of range. So it's got the advantage that it's very sleek, so it cuts through the air. It's very um, you know, low wind resistance as It looks such. a bit like the Batmobile. Probably does a little the bit, yeah. The yellow Batmobile is the one I saw. Yeah. And, and what they're really trying to do here is they're trying to say, well, we can take on Ferrari, we can take on Lamborghini, all the reasons that people might buy those cars, we've got them all in this, and spades, and plus a few bit of extra electronics just to throw in on top, sprinkle over the top. So Very cool. I love the competition. I love the idea that we've got different manufacturers. BYD, we hadn't heard of them a year ago, Mm. and here they are now challenging these wonderful historical brands in the Ferraris of the world with some of the tech they've got involved. Now, some people still love their old Ferraris and love the tradition of the brand, but I know there's a lot of people out there who love some of the new tech in some of these new devices, new cars. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I think just for everyone, you mightn't go out and buy one of these tomorrow. You might want to jump over potholes, (laughs) but the technology that's in them, I just see that leaning in a corner. There's a fantastic bit of technology that may well come onto the BYD versions of cars as we go forward. And with that, it's time to stow this supercar of an episode safely into our podcast garage and bring the roller door down with a satisfying thunk. Thanks for another cracking tech talk, Matt. Well, we gave everyone an early mark today, James. We've gone a couple of minutes under our target of 45 minutes so people can have an early mark and have an ice cream after this. Well, how about I just drag out this closure? (laughs) Do a, do a four-minute ending for us. I'm going to start off. I'm going to go off to YouTube with some classic game shows and watch some classic game shows of the 80s. Nestled in an uber comfy well-being chair, maybe having Enya played to me in the background there, all to sweep me gently away from the list of pressing jobs that I'm supposed to get done between now and their impending deadline. Thanks for tuning in to Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. It's an absolute pleasure to accelerate you into the future each week, and we hope to catch you again in another week's time. I'm your host, James Eddy, wishing you health and prosperity until next week when you'll need to tune in for another little top up there. Thank, that's on you, folks. Take care and see you then.